0: Hello and welcome to BTC Radio. I'm Kevin Mitchell, founder of the Business Travel Coalition and your host. Our guest today is Karen Walker, Editor-in-Chief at Air Transport World. Karen joined the magazine in that position in August of 2013 and oversees the editorial content and direction of ATW's digital, print, data, and events products. Karen is one of the most accomplished and respected aviation journalists, not just in the United States, but in the world. Today, we will discuss the three-year-old campaign by the U.S. Three, meaning Delta, American, and United Airlines, to frustrate market entry by the ME Three, Qatar, Etihad, and Emirates Airlines. Specifically, the U.S. Three have sought a freeze on so-called fifth freedom rights. For listeners unfamiliar with the term, a fifth freedom right allows a carrier to transport revenue passengers or cargo traffic from its home country to a second country and then on to a third country.
1: Karen, welcome to the show. Kevin, thank you, and I very much appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.
0: Great. Let's get right to it. Tell us a little bit about your career and role at Air Transport World.
1: Um, okay. i try and make this uh, very short, but uh, basically I, I, I trained as a journalist. Uh, in it, that was my degree in journalism back back in the UK. I was actually born an American. Most people hear this accent and don't realize it, but I was born in the UK but on an American Air Force base. My father was in the US Air Force. Um, so I spent the first four or five years in, in the US. We came back to the US. And then when my father retired, we went back to the UK. And um, so I went to school and college there, studied journalism, and then went on to local newspapers. Um, And sort of the the big change for me, the, the total sort of career moment, I went and joined um, Flight International, as it was called then, in London, as a reporter there. Um, So that was back in 1983. So I've been covering aerospace and aviation ever since. Um, Fast forward, I've now been back in the US uh, 27 years. So I've been... I have covered defence um uh, here as well, but my love is covering airlines. That's the most interesting um sector by far. So I was delighted when I got back to uh, air transport um when I joined Air Transport world um as editor-in-chief. And so, as you probably are aware, Kevin, we've tracked particularly the aeropolitical side. um it's an area that I really, really enjoy covering. You have
0: reported extensively on this open skies dispute. The U.S. and Qatar recently reached an understanding with respect to their air transport agreement. Can you sketch out for our listeners who the participants were and what the process and results were in the recently concluded U.S.-UAE discussions?
1: Sure, yeah. So this sort of, as you say, it sort of started um, uh, three or four years ago. um, And the the agreements, uh, the Open Skies agreements, I mean, there are now more than 120 of those that the US has forged with countries all over the world. And they're really good news, they a very good thing. They open up the routes so that provided there are slots. If you've got that agreement, each country can then, its airlines can fly as much as there are slots available to the other country. So the UAE and Qatar both have open skies agreements. Um, Then something seemed to change, shift on the particular ones with the United Arab Emirates and Qatar. Um, And it's my belief that the trigger there was when Emirates Airline of, of Dubai and therefore the UAE started to operate, as you said, one of the fifth freedom rights that's embedded in open skies. And um, they started a route from um, Milan in Italy, um, direct to New York. That seemed to greatly concern the uh, three US major carriers, because that's a direct new competition in the transatlantic market, which is, is very important to them. Um, it was really Delta that sort of started the whole process of sort of wanting to, um, in my belief, curtail the growth of the three Gulf carriers from that perspective, um, curtail their continued expansion into the US market, um, and I think particularly wanted to freeze those any more fifth freedom rights. Just for the record, um, Emirates has operates now one other. Fifth freedom right, which is from Athens to New York, Um, but neither of the other two carriers, Qatar Airways or Etihad, have ever operated a fifth freedoms on the surface it seems like a pretty small thing you know there's just two routes um here but i think it was more significant in terms of what the um u.s majors saw as a potential threat of new competition in the transatlantic market so that's what that's sort of when the things started to really crystallize into formal campaigns and and so when what you had was um on the one side the american delta united actually forming large lobbying campaigns. Um, You know, this is where these allegations came in about large subsidies that the Gulf carriers were enjoying by their governments and that they said, therefore, contravened the Open Skies agreements because it was unfair competition. Meanwhile, then, on the other side, which uh, it wasn't just the Gulf carriers, it was other US carriers, not least um, FedEx and the the cargo carriers, um, which need those fifth freedom rights. So they were against on the other or they were on the other side um plus you had like the independent airlines like um uh, hawaiian and JetBlue, who have co-chairs with these um gulf carriers and um they wanted to make sure that open skies agreements were maintained so this is where the campaigning really sort of um, took off got a life of its own um and you what you had was they requested to have formal negotiations by the governments of the Two open skies agreement. agreements. Um, it never, it never actually got to that formal level, but there have been government to government discussions on the sides, um, both with the former Obama administration and and then with the Trump administration. And in both cases this year, first with Qatar um, in January, and then th- last week it was announced with the UAE. They've announced new sort of agreement terms, um, almost like a gentleman's handshake, I would term it, um, as to um, where. Both sides have agreed that fair and open competition is good for all sides. Um, It's, uh, you know, this this diplomatic wording. What's important to emphasize is that in neither case was the open skies agreements changed in any way. They're both totally valid.
0: Karen, prior to discussing the understanding in further detail, let me ask you two general questions. First... In your long career as an aviation journalist, have you ever seen any single or group of U.S. airlines spend anything like the reported tens of millions of dollars spent by the U.S. three to limit Gulf carrier rights?
1: I'm certainly not aware of anything um, on this scale. Hmm. Um, You know, I, I just can't think of another sort of campaign. First of all, where three supposedly competing major carriers (laughs) have joined force um, on an issue Uh, but then you know they got this very outspoken lobbyist group in Washington DC they've done a you know a huge amount of campaigning they've joined forces with some of the unions as well the airline unions they've to couch the issue as a you know um, American workers preserving American jobs so no I've not seen anything on this scale.
0: Well, let me ask you a second question. As you know, BTC was also very active in supporting the ultimately successful DOT foreign air carrier permit applications of Norwegians to transatlantic carriers, Norwegian Air International and Norwegian U.K., Like the Gulf carriers, Norwegian's transatlantic aspirations were the target of a relentless anti-consumer lobbying campaign launched by the US3. So do you see the anti-Gulf carrier and anti-Norwegian lobbying campaigns as separate or related?
1: I I think they're separate. They're they're a little bit different. They were different in that um, in Norwegian's case, Norwegian was... Wanting to use that right to uh, operate to the US via its um, hub in Ireland. Um, And by doing that, it fell within the US Open Skies Agreement with the European Union, you know, with Ireland being part of EU and therefore the Open Skies Agreement being valid for that. Um, So in this case, what they were doing, first of all, it was actually challenging the EU Open Skies terms and the eu came back very strongly on that or the european commission came back very strongly against what the americans were trying to do um and and like i say in 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 this case it wasn't like you know with the gulf carriers they were already of course had their open skies agreements and were operating within them norwegian got caught up with this couldn't get its uh uh operating certificate to the u.s because they were sort of saying you yeah, it's not valid for you um but i do think so they were they were different but i do think um there's some relationship here because, of course, Norwegian is a relatively new startup, low-cost carrier that has introduced a long-haul business model. And it's operating in the all-important transatlantic market. So I think there's the relationship. You're talking about the transatlantic market. This time you're talking about an LCC coming into that market. Um, And I think because the three US majors by now had sort of seen in their eyes how the transatlantic market could be changed by these new entrants, it was very alert to what Norwegian was doing.
0: So now I need to read some quotes before getting to my next question. The US UAE discussions were completed and an understanding reached. uh, And that occurred on Friday, May 11th. Immediately, the US-3 declared victory. Confusion ensued and by Sunday, various media were reporting that the US-3 had in fact been dealt a defeat with only a bit of sugarcoating going on in those articles. Nevertheless, in a May 18th Aviation Daily opinion piece, Peter Carter, Delta Airlines' chief legal officer, doubled down stating, and I quote, any unbiased reading of the agreement makes it clear that it fulfills every core objective of the U.S. airline coalition, end quote. And he mentioned a freeze on Fifth Freedom Rights. Carter cited the oral comments by, quote, White House officials, end quote, apparently referring to assistant to the president, Peter Navarro. However, Carter did not quote the actual text of the UAE side letter. So Karen, based on your extensive reporting on this issue, was that your assessment of the truth? Are fifths now banned? And did you receive clarification today on this issue at the Hudson Institute's Open Skies event?
1: First of all, start with the actual Open Skies agreement itself. Um, UAE, just like Qatar, that Open Skies agreement stays totally the same, untouched. So all rights contained in that remain valid and that includes fifth freedom. So you can't possibly say that Fifth Freedom Rights have been frozen. They're still in there, and that's why FedEx, for example, can still operate. Fifth Freedom Flight, so start with that, that the actual agreement is not changed. Um, Then turn to, there was this thing called the Record of Discussion, which is basically a sort of a diplomatic document, an agreement of from these side negotiations. So you can look at that, and there is absolutely no mention whatsoever of a freeze. Okay, so again the fifth freedoms remain total there is also a side letter, again, a sort of a, like a, a diplomatic high-level letter by the UAE, which, again, does not talk about a freeze. It absolutely does not mention a freeze. It does say, just as Qatar said, that its airlines have no current plans to add more fifth freedom flights. Read to that what you will. That is not a, an oath. It's a, you know, that's the status. And like I say, Etihad doesn't even operate any of fifth freedoms and Emirates has too. But uh nowhere can you look and find the the term freeze in any of the documents. And this is why when uh Mr Navarro said he repeated the um the term several times in his briefing to the US airline stakeholders. He he basically sort of said something like, Well, call it what you will, I you know, a freeze is a freeze as far as I'm concerned. I did ask about that today in the uh at the Meeting today at uh, the Hudson Institute, and um, and basically it was a they, they threw no more clarification on it. Um, there there is no freeze.
0: It's my understanding that the UAE side letter that you were just referencing, and it was read uh, to the industry stakeholders during a State Department briefing. It states in clear and unambiguous words that there will be no restriction or limitation on any UAE airlines open skies rates. That would include fifth freedoms, which are essential to every Open Skies Agreement. So, Karen, is it possible to ban fifths and still maintain an Open Skies framework?
1: Um, right, you could, and I think this might be interesting going forward with any new Open Skies Agreements with other countries. Um, in theory, you could you know, create an Open Skies Agreement that doesn't include fifths um it's it difficult from my perspective to see how that would be acceptable because the US cargo carriers who are enormous companies in their own right are going to want those fares and it's also like you know the beauty that i mean the open skies agreements so are an enormous success um a huge you know they were an american invention if you like and have been fantastic because they've allowed more competition in they've allowed you know, literally more freedom for airlines to start new routes. Um, This is why, for example, you've got so many more what they call point-to-point routes from sort of, you know, the not-so-big cities, Philadelphia to um to prague okay so you have these sort of instead of all having to go through the big hubs you know through dallas fort worth through atlanta uh chicago to Heathrow, to charles de gaulle open skies has allowed that it's they're, they're a fantastic thing so what i'm saying is if you start to sort of have an open skies that doesn't you know puts constraints on it it sort of is no longer open skies in theory, it can be done. Um, in reality, it wouldn't really be open skies. Um, but even more, you know, on the point for these particular ones, the UAE and Qatar agreements, you can't just take fifth freedom out. Uh, you'd have to renegotiate a new open skies agreement, which is not what was done in the end.
0: Do do you interpret the White House press office uh, statement issued on Thursday, May 17th, that was conspicuously silent on the issue of a freeze, do you interpret that as the White House's subtle way of saying the State Department was right, there is no freeze, and Mr. Navarro misspoke? And as an aside, I noted today uh, in the remarks at the Hudson Institute that Navarro, while parroting Delta's talk points, did not use the term freeze. So what do you think?
1: Yeah, right. So I think um, that's right. I think they they've had to backtrack from that from that freeze statement. As I say, it's simple and clear. If you look at the documents, there is no freeze. So I, I don't know, but I suspect the the UAE carriers specifically were um, concerned about that those that statement of a freeze and wanted the record put right. And for that matter, I suspect State Department did, because state knows there is no freeze. So yeah, we saw an interesting sort of back forth, back forth last week after, you know, which was a great shame, because at the end of the day, I think what they ended up being able to do one way or another, both sides could have sort of walked away saying this was a you know, a good outcome. We've still got open skies. It's not been um, in any way constrained. But we all know, uh, have an understanding um, of each other. And, um, you know, there was there was ways that they could have just that would have been it. Um, instead, a sort of another the campaigning sort of started all over again. And it mostly was triggered by those statements on, on a freeze that is not there. Switching gears just a little bit. A lot of people don't realize
0: FedEx is the largest U.S. operator to the UAE, and it has a large and growing fifth freedom hub there. Do you think the UAE would permit FedEx to continue adding fifths if the U.S. were to prohibit UAE carriers from launching new fifths to the U.S. from Europe or anywhere else?
1: It can't have at terms that just apply to one side and not the other of an open sky. So, um, you know, I think one of the reasons that the outcome after three or more years is that the, both uh, the UAE and Qatar open skies agreements remain totally intact is because you could they couldn't, um, they'd have had to be renegotiated to either take out fifth freedoms altogether, which FedEx, Atlas, UPS were not going to, um, allow, um, or you, or you did say, yeah, it can only be for the cargo carriers, which you know, <laughs> it can certainly with the UAE. I think um, that was a a, a definite no go. So in theory, yes. In reality, no. You could not see how you could get to a, a, an agreement. But just sort of said, it's it's okay for um, for the US cargo carriers to keep using Fifth Freedoms, but not for the UAE carriers.
0: What, in your view, needs to happen now? The the Trump administration offered the U.S. 3 a, a fig leaf. Will they refuse it?
1: Um, okay, so I honestly do believe and certainly do hope that ultimately this will be the end of the issue. Quite down now, um, the terms are are out there. And, uh, you know, we've had this sort of minor, minor storm immediately after the agreement was announced, mostly caused by Mr. Navarro. But I do think it'll settle down. That. I mean, to be honest, I think that the airlines on both sides of it actually want this matter no longer, uh, you know, holding over them. The three Gulf carriers have got a whole set of different issues that they're dealing with one way or another. They really want this settled. And, FedEx, etc. They wanted uh, it settled, but to be honest, you know, um, American Delta and um, United, you know, they're all on different tracks these days anyway. That first of all, as I said, they're very profitable, which is good. They've got their antitrust joint ventures with various partners around the world, and that you know they need to be focusing on those because those are important to them but if you want my opinion also I think the biggest one of the things that they're now looking to is um it's actually the Chinese carriers and how big that they've grown how big the China market is now becoming and there is no open skies agreements with China so I think if anything they're probably looking at where that market's going be able to take a part of that yes we've had this sort of skirmish after the um, UAE agreement was announced, um, but I do actually think that we'll be moving on from here.
0: Well, let's, let's hope so, because it's been a, a huge waste of, of energy and time and money. You attended the Hudson Institute's Open Sky session today. Was there any interesting takeaways or maybe, you know, what, what were people discussing after the event took place? What can you tell us?
1: Okay, so um, by and large, it was very light on any detail or any anything that wasn't already known. Uh Mr Navarro spoke former a House Speaker Newt Gingrich spoke. Jim Burley, who um, was a former U.S. Department of Transportation secretary. He's now um, counsel, I think, specifically to American. Oh, and then they had um, Doug Holt Eakin, who's um, president of American Action Forum. Um, The only person there who spoke from the sort of like the other side, if you like, was Steve Taylor, who's um, vice president of regulatory affairs at FedEx. Um, So the whole panel was, and speakers, was very biased towards the U.S three major viewpoints um but there wasn't really you know like i say there was no nothing really new came out of there there, there was discussion on china and um, you know my takeaway is that um, we're not going to be getting, heading for a open skies with china anytime soon especially if you look at where we're sitting right now on broader trade issues and the rather fraught relationship that we have with china under this administration so there was that but there really wasn't a you know You couldn't say that you sort of really learned anything from the uh, conference this morning.
0: One thing that I noted from the panel discussion today was how effective Steve Taylor of FedEx was several times in in pointing out how critical the fifth freedoms are to FedEx. And I I think he made an additional point, too, which is that when you look at UPS and FedEx and some of the other smaller uh, cargo airlines, there's over a million U.S. employees involved here.
1: So that's always been part of their, you know, that campaign because, of course, the um, Delta American United campaign because they've got, you know, the unions there as well in that coalition, and they've very much couched, particularly, I think, towards more the, you know, the the public that doesn't isn't necessarily in aviation, right? So they're couching it in terms of sort of, you know, a more terms you'll understand, and it's American's job, American jobs are uh, under threat here, which, of course, completely. First of all, ignores over a million jobs at um, FedEx, Atlas and UPS alone. As you said, Steve made the point a few times. He talked about how the way they operate their Fifth Freedom, it's American pilots and American-built planes, Boeings, that are used on wherever they're going on these Fifth Freedom flights. They are using American pilots and, and planes, so that's job. And this is the other thing that nobody mentioned today, of course. If you look at the hundreds of Boeing planes... Um, that the Gulf carriers have bought. Um, Those are all huge numbers of jobs at Boeing. Um, General Electric that makes the engines, um, Rockwell Collins that makes the avionics, it goes on and on. Um, So the, you know, there are jobs, American jobs are created by open skies, period. It's not just on one side.
0: And another point that didn't come up today at the Hudson Institute was... I'm going to be off here a little bit. We're probably close to 50 consecutive months of commercial aviation job growth in this country. So to your point much earlier, you can't point to any harm here. Karen, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to
1: talk about? No, Kevin, I think you've, you've done an excellent job of picking out all the big questions here. As we just said, I really do hope that after this last little skirmish that everybody settles down and gets on with focus on being, you know, if there's a real shame about this is that, you know, as I've said several times, Open Skies is actually a great um, American invention um, you know the very first one was done with the Netherlands um, and so they certainly deserve some credit but the template of open skies is an American idea and others of other regions have now gone with that same template um, so one hopes now that all airlines on all sides are now free from their campaigns and the legal side of this you actually use open skies for what it does it allows you to uh, um, access new markets if you're competitive and that's where the resources should be going into providing the best product you can to your customers whether that's um you know a cargo customer or you know passenger on the plane um, that's the real shame of what's been happening here is that this diversion when you know competition wins if you if you're really good at what you do
0: You make an excellent point. These open skies agreements really do represent the gold standard. You know, a made in America trade agreement. The uh, administration should be looking toward these open skies agreements as a model for all of these other trade issues that they are concerned with. Absolutely. Karen, thank you so much for your time and your expert insights today.
1: Thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin.
0: Well, that's it for this edition for the entire team here at BTC Radio. Thank you for tuning in.